Choosing what to study sometimes is a challenge because you want to make sure you cover all of God's Word and sometimes there may be portions of it that are more uh, interesting. There may be portions of it sometimes that relate more to things that you're going through in your life. We're going to study the book of Malachi for a few weeks. Tonight's lesson is going to be the one on Are You Losing Interest? And you see, the problems today are mirrored in the messages of the prophets. I honestly believe that if you were to go back and to say, what are the problems that you and I face in our everyday struggle to be a faithful child of God, that what you would find is, is that those same problems are the problems faced during the period of the prophets. And the prophets were men who loved the souls of their people, often weeping over their sins. And they tried to provide God's message to a people that needed it. They are relevant. I'm always just astounded when people say, oh, that's an old book and that's an Old Testament and there's nothing there for us. Oh, but there is so much. I want to mention to you the last three books of the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And if you think about those three books, the books of Haggai and Zechariah was trying to get the children of Israel, after having returned from the captivity, to build the temple back again. That old temple had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, and now it's time to rebuild it. They started in 536, they quit. For 16 years, but finally through the urging of Haggai and Zechariah, they built the temple. Then you come to the book of Malachi, and his emphasis is on you as a people now need to be restored to a true heart of loving God and a renewal in yourselves. Well, the four chapters of the book of Malachi are going to be the four lessons that we will study We're going to take a week about for each one of these. And I believe that when we finish, you're going to say, boy, that book sounds just like it was written to people today. We're going to ask the question, are you losing interest? Why do people lose interest? Many times it's because they begin to doubt God's love. Does God really care about me as a person? Does he care whether I'm at services or not? Does he care whether or not I'm faithful to serve him? Second of all, we're going to talk about a diminishing respect for God. Is it to the point where people no longer really respect God for being God? Do you fear him? You know, know, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole of man. Then you have the disintegrating offerings. Something disintegrates, it starts to wear away till there's just almost nothing left there. The offerings that we offer God. And then finally, they begin to drift apart from God. Let's look at verses 2 through 5. You, I encourage you to use your own copy of the scriptures. I'm going to have them on the screen, but I want you to, to focus on it. You're, you're probably going to want to read a verse or two before or after as we're delivering this lesson. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. 
and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall call, be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Now, as you begin to think about that, God affirmed his love for Jacob. Jacob was also called Israel, the name given to him. But they doubted. God said, I have loved you. But they, they said, Really, God, in what way have you loved us? Or maybe we would rephrase it today. What have you done for me lately? What have you given me so that I should be faithful to you? Do you know that's an attitude that so many people have toward God? Well, God, you say you love me, but what have you done for me? Do you realize how poor of a question that is? To ask God, how have you loved us? You see, God's love was not based on being lovable, but on God's choice. This idea of Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated is a very important theme. You know, Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13 says, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, having done any good or evil, that the purposes of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, that would be very easy to misunderstand. Because people might think that God somehow was just only loving Jacob and Jacob never had a, or Esau never had a chance. But the truth is, is that God saw what they were going to become. And God had a plan and he was going to bring the Savior in the world through the descendants of Jacob. But Jacob always was jealous of that. Jacob always felt that I can do things without God. When you go to the book of Obadiah, the whole book is written about the pride of Edom. In verses 2 and 3, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. Your pride of your heart has deceived you who dwell in the clefts of the rock. For those of us who've been privileged to go to the city of Petra in Jordan. That's where the Edomites lived. Yes, they did live, have their houses in the clefts of the rock. They become prideful and say, nobody can destroy us. And if they destroy us, we can rebuild quickly. Verses 10 and 11, for the violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, when, in the day when strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. You see, as people come against God's people, Esau, Edom had constantly said, we're going to take over. We're going to do it our way. And God said, no, you won't. But you see, the problem is these people have been so privileged, they developed this idea that we're entitled this idea that somehow because who we are, God has to give us anything and everything that we want. You know, it's 
very interesting. You can take a child and give him everything, give him everything, give him everything, and then he finds one thing he doesn't have. He's going to whine and gripe and moan and complain. Why don't I get that too? That's exactly the attitude that these people have right now. God has provided everything for them, but their idea is we're not getting everything we want. Often become jealous of others. In Psalm 73, verses 1 through 3, he talks about God is truly good to Israel, to such as of a pure heart. But he says, for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And you know what it is that caused that uh, temptation? He said, for I was envious at the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, I looked and I saw what other people had and I want it all. But you drop down to verse 12. Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. They're saying, what good does it do to be faithful to God? The wicked people get more than the righteous people do. Now let me ask you a question. Do you suppose that some of us could come away and say, God, do you really love me? I don't have a Cadillac in the garage. I don't have a huge bank account. I don't live in a big house with all sorts of, of great things. And so, God, do you really love me? And that's exactly the kind of attitude that they had developed. But, you know, you have to step back and say sometimes God deprives man of some things that he knows is not in their best interest. And that's real love. To deprive somebody of something they don't need. I'd like to ask you how many of you, when you were a teenager, thought you deserved a whole lot more than you did? And some of your parents may be like my parents were. They knew how to say no real easy and real fast. I didn't understand it then, but you know what? I understand it now. I understand the value of that good training. And God has told Israel no on occasions, but it's for Israel's benefit. Verse 5, one day they will see, one day they will understand like mature adults do about their childhood. So they begin to doubt God's love. Now let's look at this diminishing respect. Let's look at verse 6. A son honors his father... And a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. And yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You see, there's a certain amount of respect that is due to a person simply because of their position. You go into a courtroom and you stand before a judge and you know what, the way you're supposed to address them? You don't say, hey, you. You say, your honor. When you go before a certain person, you have to demonstrate a certain level of respect. Biblically speaking, parents deserve respect. They're the ones who brought you into this world. They're the ones who are charged with your training 
God said in Exodus 20 and verse 12, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long upon the land in which the Lord your God is giving you. A master, an owner of the slaves. You know, uh, you would be wise if you work for someone and the owner of the company comes in to speak to them with respect. In Matthew 10, 24 and 25, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. You have to understand that there's a level of respect that is due. Now, of all who are deserving of respect, God is deserving of the most. Psalm 111, verse 9, He has sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome, or holy and reverend, is His name. You give God the respect that He does deserve. But notice... They said, in what way have we despised you? What does the word despise mean, at least as it's used in Scripture? Well, Genesis 25, verse 34, it says, Esau despised his birthright. When I go to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, it explains to us there that he, for one morsel, sold his birthright didn't mean anything to him there's a lot of people that the name of God doesn't mean anything to them they have no respect for it in 1 Samuel chapter 10 verses 25 through 27 when Saul becomes king Samuel had explained what royalty involves in verse 25 and it says Saul went home to Gibeah and valiant men with him and whose heart God had touched but verse 27 is sort of the key. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. You know, here's Saul. He becomes <clears throat> the king of Israel. What are they going to do? They're, they're not respecting him. They're not honoring him as the king. They despised him. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 42. You have David and Goliath. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. You know, here is this man, you know, nine feet tall, and looks down at the little small boy David and he laughs, but he despises him. You know, they sent this little boy out here to fight against me. Esther chapter 1, verse 17. You remember Hazarus, his wife, his queen. Vashti, and uh, the king's drunk. And how is Vashti going to respond? She wouldn't go and put on a show for those drunken men. So the queen's behavior will become known to all women, so they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she did not come. In other words, He's the king, and he commands you to come. I'm not coming. And then all women will think they can act like that. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we did not esteem him. 
Jesus was not recognized with the authority. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. John tells us. What does society do today? They mock the name of God. They take his name in vain. You turn on your television and God's name is maligned and cursed and profaned almost every other word. And you start asking the question, are people losing interest in God? They don't think God loves him. They're diminishing their respect for him. They're not showing him the respect that he's due. Now let's look at verses 7 through 12. You offered defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be accepted or pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept this offering, an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. And that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. Now, their offerings were defiled. I want you to think about their offerings. You know, God had made a command about what he wanted, when he wanted it, how he wanted it, and even where he wanted it. And they had to bring the right kind of animal at the right time and offer it in the right way in Jerusalem. That was God's command for the children of Israel. But they offered defiled food. So what do you mean by that? Do you remember when Daniel was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar? Carted off to Babylon. And there he was emasculated and was given a certain diet to eat. And he says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I don't want to eat unclean food. I don't want to eat what God told me is not right to be eaten. Deuteronomy 15 verse 21 is very plain about that sacrifice. But if there is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has a serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Ah, the sacrifice itself was defiled because they were offering the blind, the lame, and the sick. So what does he say? Offer it to your governor. Will he be accepted with you? Will he accept what you're offering that's sort of worthless? 
So God's desire was, I want somebody to shut the doors. Now I want you to imagine, what if God's message to us tonight was, will somebody go back there and lock the doors and not let anybody in to worship? Do y'all realize how serious that is? I don't want you to come in and sing songs if you don't intend to praise me with those songs. I don't want you to come in and pray your prayers if you're not going to try to actually speak to me and speak to me with a pure heart. And God said, I don't want a preacher get up there and preach a lesson if he's not going to preach my truth. God said, I want somebody to shut the doors. In Isaiah 1 verses 11 and following, God said, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or, or goats or lambs. And when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. Your new moons and your Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. And when you spread out your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. What in the world is God saying? What you people is, you don't have a love for me. And what you're doing, it's showing up in what you're giving. What you're giving is nothing more than your scraps. To those who are losing interest, they give less and less and less every day. They give less in value. There's little or no amount to the money that they contribute to God. They give less in their time, and you've heard the phrase, time is money, in worship and work. Let's face the facts, folks. We have people tonight who can't come to services because they're more interested in something else. You know what God's perspective on that is? Just go ahead and close the doors. Just go ahead and close the doors. When we give so little to God that it's, it's just what we don't have use for, would God be proud of what you're offering him now in your time, in your money, in your enthusiasm, in your service? And so we ask the question, are you losing interest? And you start looking, well, you start doubting God's love and you start disrespecting his name and you start offering disintegrating less and less and less and less. Then you start drifting apart from God. Let's look at verse 13. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord. 
I want you to notice they say, they say. God says something and then they respond with that. When I get to chapter 3, verse 13, God said, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. And yet you say, what have we spoken against you? What you have is people are drifting apart from God and they don't even realize it that what they're saying is evidence that they're getting further and further and further away from God. They say, what a weariness. Let me ask you. You said, I tell you what, going to church has gotten to be boring. I, I, I guess I'm tired of going. You know why that happens? People, they're drifting away from God. And their body language starts telling on them. He said they sneer at it. The original word for sneer here means to blow. In the congregation I used to preach at, we had one song leader who got up to lead singing and he'd announce a number and say, Every time, every time. And it, it almost, why does he lead singing if he doesn't want to do it that bad? I don't know if it become a habit to him or what, but sometimes people just, you can see it in their faces. Isaiah 56 or 54 verse 16, behold, I have created a blacksmith who blows the coals of the fire. Haggai 1 verse 9. You look for much, but indeed came to little. You brought it home, and I blew it away. The idea of the word blow is sneering at it. <sighs> Tired. Don't want to do this anymore. And the love for God grows cold. In Matthew 24, verse 12, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You live in a sinful world and all around you, everybody else is so interested in everything else. And so what, what happens to us, God's people? We start blowing, start losing interest, we start falling away. It's not sudden. People don't just say, I'm walking away from the church. No, I can tell you what happens. Little by little, Week by week, their interest in God starts waning and then they start missing a little bit and they start going a little bit further. Listen to the writer of the book of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest we drift away. It's like a, a boat that is moored at the dock. And the rope is loosed, and the current's carrying the boat just a little bit further from the dock, a little bit further. Some of you once were really dedicated and loyal and faithful, but right now, what would God say? An apostasy was taking place among Israel. Malachi was calling them back. 
Don't leave God. God was seeking reconciliation even though he was the one that was offended. God considers it a precious relationship. The truth is, God loves each and every one of us. And he wants us to be the very best that you and I can be, but... Sometimes our faith, our interest, our devotion is starting to drift away. And sometimes you need to study Malachi chapter 1 that says, are you drifting? Do you need to come back before it's eternally too late? We're going to sing the song, Almost Persuaded. That's a wonderful song because it represents what is really in the hearts of many people. Sometimes you're a person here who's never become a Christian and you're just waiting for the right words to say, get up now and express your faith in Christ, repent of your sins, be baptized. And sometimes it's saying to those of us who are Christians, enough is enough. It's time to get busy in serving the Lord. God loves you. He wants you to be saved. If you need to respond, please come while together we stand and sing.